This is Jeff Scott, here to tell you about a prescription you can't afford to miss. The Blues Disease with me, Jeff Scott, every Monday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific on the coolest radio station on the planet, KUCI. It's Contagious Radio, so tune in at your own risk. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She also sits on the advisory board of the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, Geraldo, Montel, O'Reilly, and lots of other shows. So to learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Evening, Murray. Well, tonight we are going to have this wonderful voice and this fabulous accent from a distinguished Frenchman, which is really fun. I think he's great. And I have actually heard him on a uh, webinar, and we got to know each other, and I was so thrilled that he agreed to be on our show. Let me tell you a little bit about him, and I hope I pronounce his name correctly because it is a fabulous romantic name. And you'll see, when you see his picture on our website, is with his grandchildren, so uh, a real good uh, grandpa, too. Tonight, we will be speaking with Gilles M. Lissimac, who is an expert with ID. Identity Systems and Technology Consultants. He is one of the leading U.S. experts on smart cards and application of smart cards. We're going to learn what smart cards are because they're not as big in this country as they are in Europe. He works on various U.S. government projects as technical advisor and smart card standard expert. Prior to joining Identity Systems and Technology Consultants, Gilles worked at GemPlus, a company he founded with four other co-founders, and he was part, and this was part of the business development group responsible for special projects in North America. In this position, he contributed to various groups, including prospects and customers, providing technical and business guidance for design and application of smart cards. Prior to joining GemPlus, Mr. Lisimak, was Technical Marketing Director in SGS Thompson's Research and Development Group. He was the architect of the company's family of smart card components and helped develop the first chip operating system for smart cards. Additionally, he was MIS manager of the SGS Thompson MOS facility called Eurotechnique, a joint venture between St. Gobain and National Semiconductor. Theory developed an integration system connecting HP mini computers, IBM mainframes, and DEC semiconductor test equipment. 
So he is such a techie, it's incredible. Mr. Lucy Mock holds multiple patents on smart card security and smart card OS design and has high level seats with numerous smart card and security forums and associations. And the good news is he is also really interested in caring about privacy. He's an honor graduate of the French Engineering School Arts and Métier where he specialized in automation and electronics. Wow, Gilles, how did you get to be such a techie? Being a techie, I don't know um, <laughs> why I got there. I, you would have to ask my wife about why I ended up like that. Did you start out as a kid being real interested in all the electronics and things like that? Yes, I was. When um, In my early days, I developed uh, radios uh, capturing the uh, radio waves very early, about 10 years old. I built my first radio. Wow. And later on, I was building always electronic devices and things to either capture information or master the world around me. So I had fun at the time. Before we find out about how you came to this country, you got to tell me, what are some of your patents? Are they all with smart card technology? Most of my patents are related to smart card or security around smart card. Yes, I've been working in smart cards for about 10, uh, 20 years now. Hmm. And uh, the, the patents are related to that technology, either at the silicon level or because of the security application developed in the chip, uh, the computer. We know that you were born in France. You have a fabulous French accent. So what made you come to the United States? Well, um, about 20 years, no, about yeah, 19 years ago now, when... Um, like many French people, I was dreaming about the U.S. In fact, um, you know, the U.S. and the France have been in a love relationship for about 200 years. So we love each other, but we sometimes also have hate. Right. That's, that's past, but that's getting better now. And um, I had the opportunity to come to the U.S. to uh, create the uh, subsidiary of the company I founded in France, uh, the smart card manufacturer Gem Plus at the time. So we came with my whole family. And we came, in fact, for three years and decided to stay. And so you decided to stay. What is the best and the worst that you found in <laughs> your country of adoption? What, you know, it's, it's always fun to hear what people think. Well, um, that's, in, in a nutshell, what I can summarize, the best thing I really found in the U.S. is the respect of the word freedom. It's not because France is not a free country. It's just that freedom is such in the culture here. It's the best thing which can happen. You can be who you want to be. You can behave the, want you, the, the way you want to be. It, you're free on all levels. And the that's why you guys gave us the Statue of Liberty, right? <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> but, but the worst I found is also freedom. Because, in fact, when you think about it, that freedom that I can have, Everybody can have it, even with other motives than me. And in fact, it's just like um, being always on your guard because the freedom of others is a potential threat for you. So the worst and the best is freedom. You have got to choose to live with risks if you want to be free. Right, right. And that's, that's the challenge that we're having now between security and privacy, isn't it? It's that tension between feeling, having that privacy and that security when we're talking about terrorism or just all the insidious things that can happen. It's related. The security and privacy is always related. It's just that we are in a world where privacy was 
kind of controlled before because of the limited exchanges that people had between each other. But with uh, the Internet, with the telephones, with the world communication, privacy now becomes a threat because more and more bad people are able to find who they want as targets, and that creates more issues. Being that you're from France, and I know that you go back and visit family back there somewhat often, right? You, even though you're, you're an American now, what is really the difference between privacy in France and perhaps uh, the European Union and privacy in our country here? That's a hard question. It's, um, I, I like a proverb. Well, let me start by this. There is always a very simple wrong answer to any complex problem. So I will try to give you a wrong, simple answer, which is wrong because it's incomplete. But I think it summarizes, though, the differences between the European approach and the U.S. approach. The European laws regarding privacy makes any kind of personal private information belonging to the person. It means that whoever has it is only the custodian, but is responsible to protect it on the behalf of the real owner. In the U.S., whoever owns the information, even if it's private information, can use it basically the way they want, unless barred from it. It's, it's a completely different approach where in Europe, basically, there is no way for somebody to do something without the user opting in formally. And in the U.S., the user has to opt out if he wants to be out of it. These approaches are, I would say, architecturing. There are consequences to these, these basic approaches, whereas in the U.S. I have no idea what people are doing with my information because there is absolutely no law which prevents them or forces them to tell me. Right. In right. Europe, it's the other way around. Which I think is really healthier. So if a company has information about me because I've bought something from them, what that means is they can't share it or sell it unless I give them permission. They have to ask me first before they can do it, right? They should either ask you or ask the legal entity that they are dependent against, uh, they, they, that they, they belong to, or if it's a government or something. But in fact, they, you've got some implicit consent, which are part of the agreement when you join or when you are part of something. And uh, it's kind of part of the disclosure, just like here in the U.S. for some organizations. But most of the time... Well, give me an example of that, Gilles. Um, well, uh, if uh, I uh, get an insurance or something like that, oh, by right. default, the insurance is not allowed to share anything unless I allow them. That's part of their textbooks and, and laws. Right. Um, so I don't even have to question the problem. Now, if somebody gets my information and it's considered as private, uh, like uh, I sell uh, a house or something like that. That's kind of public record, but when that record is going to be presented to somebody or somebody shows up at the county office or equivalent to get the information, they are just not going to give it away. They will ask about who they are and who is the person and why they are asking for it. It's not perfect, but at least it's not disclosed on the Internet. Like It's public so anybody can grab it and do what they want. So, given that example, would you, do they write down who accessed it? So, let's say that I went to France and I wanted to look up your property and they asked me, well, why do you want to do it or, or, or whatever. 
Um, will they write down who I am and take my ID so that you could go back and find out who did access that information? Um, I am not sure about the answer. I was living in a small village where I would get back the information because I would know the person who was handling those records. So right. I don't know if they formally do it or if it's a legal obligation. So I'm not able to answer. I don't know. Right. So the, uh, there are certain things that when you go into it, you know that it's going to be shared. And But, but even then, there is um, that protection of that information. So it's just not given out indiscriminately. Right. Whereas they, they, in our country, um, we have laws that basically say, like the Gramm-Leach-Bliley, which is our Financial Modernization Act, that says that we... Um, a company can share our information unless we opt out. Okay. Of course, California is different. We, we kind of have in implemented the uh, European Union view for third-party non-affiliates. So if a company wants to sell or share my information to a, with a third party that's not affiliated with them, they, I have to give my uh, consent first which is one of two states in this country that does this. So so I think you should move here to California. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> At least on that regard, yes. But, yes, uh, yes. Well, we uh, are more privacy conscious here in California, by the way. I, I think so, yes. I've been looking also at all the laws which are being pushed about the, um, the credit freezes and things like that, and California is always acting a lot. So. Now, you're so. in New Jersey, is that right, or where are you? No, I am in uh, Maryland. Oh, that's right. Okay, so you're right near D.C. Yes, yes. So you can go and testify. By the way, do you testify on smart cards and other things? Do you go there and give some help to legislators? No, I have not had the opportunity to do that. I am advising uh, a lot of government entities uh, or agencies, uh, but I have not been advising directly staffers or people in Congress. Um, I think my uh, problem is that I am so technical that I jump to bits and bytes too quickly and uh, lose most of my audience too fast. Well, I'm going to... Make, I'm going to make you uh, make it real easy because I'm not a techie. So you're going to have to explain it to me real carefully. And Lloyd will be sitting here going, what? What is he saying? <laughs> and even though we're on a campus that has, you know, we're on a university campus and there are a lot of people who are computer savvy, there's a lot of people here that aren't. So we have to make it so everybody understands. So let's talk about what is a smart card and what can it be used for? Oh, wow. Um, okay. You can, you can take your time on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I think there are a lot of books which have been written that on, on that subject, so being able to summarize that in a couple of minutes is not going to be easy. But Well, you can I'll have try. more than a couple of minutes. We'll give okay. you more. Okay. okay. Um, basically, a smart card is a computer chip which is very secure, which contains processing and storage. And the way to look at it, is that it's a computer which is going to enforce the rule of the applications by which the user will be either protected or guided by the application. It's a proxy, if you want, of the application. What I call an application could be a financial application used for payment. It could be a pay TV application. It could be a subscription on a cell phone. It could be an identity card, it could be an e-passport, it could be a loyalty card. 
the application in the car is going to make decisions about who it is allowed to talk to, about what kind of information is released, about the nature of proof the computer in the chip is going to provide to the outside world, and the computer will also ask who is using that computer, who is the user, the, the legitimate card holder, if you want. So this little card that somebody carries, right, mm -hmm. it, they carry it either in their cell phone or they carry it in their passport, or it's it's part of a, a card, standalone card, or within another piece of equipment, right? Well, the, the card in itself can be removed from the equipment, but generally the card doesn't do much by itself. The card is just a piece, uh, it's a computer part of a network, which is the interface between the user and the rest of the network. That card is the trusted computer element that the user has, which identifies himself or protects its information because let me give you an example. When, yes. you connect on, when you connect on the web, for example, today, yes. you present a password and identification uh, and so forth, and it's only because you look at the browser that you say, well, it looks like this website is okay. Uh, it looks like is... my bank. So let's say if I were going to give that to get into my bank to right. do my online banking. Right. It, it relies on the expertise of the user to verify that the browser looks correct. Right. The fact so, that the computer itself is going to verify the certificate or verify some of these elements, but you can be spoofed pretty easily right. and end up on the wrong web website for providing information without even knowing it. Right. Uh, that's uh, the, all the phishing and all these stories there. Now, and farming, you know, when you, go, farming. When you think you're at a yeah. website that's real and it's not. Right, right. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. So... The, the, the smart card in that regard is something which can verify or challenge the computer on the other side, saying, well, I'm not going to provide any kind of information until you, Mr. Server Computer, you prove that I can trust you. And that's what the card can be used. Okay, Most so the, the card is used as an authenticator. Is that right? Yes, and that, that's absolutely right. But what people forget most of the time is that the card not only authenticates the user to the server, but the card can verify that the server is part of a pool of server that it wants to talk to. So it's a both-way authentication which can be done. Right, right. Because, you know, obviously they want to know, should they let me in? And I want to know that they're real. So it's important that, you know, my bank recognizes me as the real person and that I recognize my bank as the real bank when I, you know, put in my password, et cetera. That's exactly right. And, and you are right on the money. Most of the applications today are using the authentication into a one-way authentication. Right. And that's something which is probably a problem, what could be a problem in some applications or, or could turn into a problem in some applications because the card is going to authenticate itself to uh, a site which can be a completely wrong site or rogue site, right. and that could be harmful for the user. Okay, so how, how is this being used? I know you said that you are working with governmental entities, and I don't know if it's secret or what, but can you give us some examples maybe that, that aren't so secret? <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's not so secret for most of the applications because um, 
It's a federal standard which has been published called uh, FIPS 201, which is the uh, presidential presidential directive 12. Uh, It's also called PIV for personal identification verification. Basically, all the federal employees and contractors should have a smart card which identify themselves. So it's, uh, if you want, a federal employee identity card. Uh, and these smart cards are going to be an electronic proof of who is the person. It uh, works only when the card is activated by the PIN presented by the user. Okay, so, so let's say I want to get into a building, a federal building, and I'm a federal employee. Mm-hmm. I not only have to show the card, but I have to input a PIN number to show that it not only do it's something I have, but it's something I know as well. It depends on the level of security of the site you are trying to get into. If you, uh, probably, if you enter the parking lot, you will probably be able to get in there just because you have a card, which is a federal employee card. Okay. If you show up at the gate, they will probably ask you about uh, who you are, and then you will have to present your PIN to the card, and the card will allow, you to allow the terminal to do a fingerprint verification that proving you are really the user. Okay, so it's not only something that I know, but also a piece of my biometric body. It could be all the way up to the three level of authentication, what you have, what you know, and who you are. Yes. Okay. So who you are is really some kind of biometric information, which would be a fingerprint or an iris scan or a retina scan, something like that? It it is a fingerprint in the PIV standard so far because they uh, needed interoperability between vendors. Okay. And that's uh, the most common interoperable technology today. Doesn't it's seem probably the least expensive too, right? Um, well, costs are going down very, very, uh, very quickly in most of these technologies, so it's not really an issue. But uh, right, right. And and what about false positives and false negatives with those uh, with those fingerprints? Well, that's an interesting question. The the false positive and false negatives are really when you do a a biometric 1 to N. That's really where the issue is. Now, the 1 to N is when you present your fingerprint and somebody looks for you in a database. Uh, You may have false positives, you may have false negatives. The probability is uh, some numbers and whatever. But when you do a one-to-one verification, because you have got your fingerprint, the reference fingerprint signed by the identity authority in the smart card, and you present your own fingerprint. So it's a one-to-one comparison. Oh, right, right, right. They're not searching for a big database. They're just trying to do a match of that to the card. Exactly. I see. It's just like when you have got your ATM, uh, you have got a PIN which is about four digits. It doesn't cover all the uh, risks, but at least the probability of somebody else finding it with three attempts is very low. Right. So some people feel that smart cards are are really the mark of the devil. You know, people are worried about that for privacy. Well, what are what are your thoughts about? That? Well, my um, it, it's interesting because uh, as a as a, as a person, I'm a Christian, so I ask that question myself before entering that uh, that technology uh, uh, area. So, I, I think the answer is that all technologies can be used for good or could be used for evil. It all it really depends on who is mastering it, who is behind it, and what the motives are. Um, 
so the technology can be used for that, that's for sure. Now, the technology also can be used to protect people, to identify people, to verify who they are. But the term verification is sometimes I want to be proving that I am the legitimate Gilles Mac and that I am that right person because that's what I want to do. If somebody, if somebody is spying on me, I want my card to be able to protect that kind of request and say, no, I don't know you, I don't want the information to be released. So the technology can be used one way or the other. And in the country where freedom is the rule, where you are, well, I would say the citizens and the people are able to make decisions, or at least influence decisions, I don't see the problem there. It's who is controlling the technology, who is using it. That could turn into bad things, that's for sure. Now, we could also ask the motives of some of the companies and I don't want to give names, but uh, in the U.S., a lot of companies are money-driven, and that may not be always a good, a good motive. Um, I'm not saying it's evil, but it could be also something to consider about how I can be manipulated, uh, how my privacy can be invaded, just because somebody wants to make money out of it. And um, is that good? Probably not. Is that uh, the mark of the devil? Not yet. But, well, the risk is there. So all technology that is a risk. I just think that we need to understand it, we need to have good policies to protect it, we need to have people with ethics able to understand and build around it. Uh, that's what is going to be helpful to protect uh, the uh, citizens, to protect people. Um, just refusing a technology, I, I think if, if by policy a technology is forbidden to be used, the bad people are going to use it because that's what they do. They go against the law. Right. And yeah. it will prevent the good people to master it and to be able to really make it work for the best of usage. So it's, it's a double-edged sword. There is no real good answer there. Um, but we're going to come back to that in just a second because I want to have people know who you are as they're driving by. We're speaking now with an expert in security, privacy, and smart cards, a wonderful Frenchman who's become an American now, uh, Gilles M. Lissimac, who is an expert with identity systems and technology consultants. And we're talking about smart cards and the technology and privacy. So let's get back to that when we're, when we're talking about the, you know, the dangers and the, the benefits. And obviously we are not going to push uh, aside technology that can be used for good we have to instead look at, like you were talking about a second ago, Jill, about the ethics of it. And perhaps there is a need for some kind of legislation to build in safeguards before we go crazy and, and use safeguards all over the place. It's kind of like the RFID issue, you know, the radio frequency identifier. We Let's talk about the, the, the dangers in reality and the benefits. So the question that, that I think of when you talk about America being a country where we don't own our information, it's whoever has it seems to own it, then if, if someone has the information in our smart card, my worry is if, for example, we have one smart card that's used for health, that's used for banking, that's used, 
my concern would be unless you have certain restrictions on who can access what, that could be a real danger. Like if my bank knows about my health, that I have some health issue, am I going to be denied a mortgage or a loan? Well, yes, it's an interesting question. Um, the it, It's a multiple question. There are, there are a lot of things which um, are, I would say, hidden behind your question there. Let me try to sort them the way I would like to answer them. First, sure, sure. Are we going to get one smart card in our wallets? Um, I don't think so, and the reason is not, there are multiple reasons. The first one is issuers always want their logo, and I am not sure that issuers will be willing to share the smart card with competitors. So we will end up with multiple cards. It will be the choice of the user. Just like today, we put the cards we want in our wallet. Maybe one day we are going to buy a card at Radio Shack and choose the applications in there, just like today we load what we want in our computer, even right. though it is owned by a large company uh, somewhere in the north uh, east, uh, west of uh, the United States. <laughs> 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 but we, we trust them by default, if I can say so. <laughs> uh, and, but at least we can put some of the securities, we can create in the computer the access rules that we want if we are computer savvy enough to do so. We are far from being able to do that in smart cards today. It's a very small chip. It's a very small computer. So technology allows it to happen, but it would be too expensive to do, too expensive to manage. And we will have multiple cards. So people are going to have, by, I would say, by physical construction, cards which are going to be separated. And you will know that when you give your insurance card, uh, your financial advisor is not going to know about it and conversely or something like that. You know, Gilles, I don't know. I get so sick of carrying, you know, all my cards around. I mean, my husband laughs at me that my wallet, and it's not just credit cards. I've got, you know, my Avis card and my Emerald card for my, you know, the rental and, and my Southwest card and my American Airlines card. And, you know, you get all these different cards. It really is kind of a pain. And I do see people like wanting it like a universal remote, like we have so many remotes in the house, you know, it's nice to have a universal remote or, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or like my camera. Yesterday, I was having trouble with my Sony camera, I couldn't find the thing to download pictures. And it would be really nice to have a universal thing because with all this electronics, it drives you crazy, you know, it's just nice to have something that you can use that would be universal. So, I mean, I could really see how it would be easy to have that one card. Um, years ago, I went to a meeting where they were trying to do the real ID and have it funded by industry who would have information about your credit and credit cards right on that one smart card. So I, I don't know if it's really so um, out of out of the way that people might not want to have that it will uh, i i think you're right but i i think i still believe that it's not going to be a one card it's going to be a one electronic wallet which will present an electronic credential in form of a virtual card or something like that the reason being nobody you don't allow people to look into your wallet you are making the selection before you pull out the card that's right. the way it works today right and uh, you are not going to show to Avis that you have got an Earth card because they may not give you the same discount. 
So you won't control in the way the device, whatever it is, is going to display what you have or the kind of relationship you have commercially with other issuers. So yes, there will probably be one day an electronic wallet when the, the physical card, the way we know it, is going to disappear. That's possible. That's why I was taking the example of a computer. It will be a portable right. computer, which is going to, uh, you're going to push a button or do something, and then the, 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 the electronic wallet is going to look like card from Visa or card from MasterCard or card from Amex. Uh-huh. Now, I pronounce two names which do not like to be in the same card. They will be forced to be in the same electronic wallet one day, but we are far from there. But how about the fact that, I don't know if you get those pre-approved offers in the mail that I'm talking about. <laughs> I get a lot, yeah. Right, which, by the way, you can call 888-5-OPT-OUT and, and have the credit bureau stop I, selling it. I did, I did. Yeah, but you'll still get them. And you know why? Because your credit card company is selling that information to other credit card companies. So my concern, and maybe I'm wrong, but I just, you know, we're playing with this, we're brainstorming, is that if there's money to be made by selling information from one company to another, like they're doing right now, that's kind of my concern, and there's no laws that say that they can't do that without our prior permission. Well, we are back to the ethics and the motives and the way the system works. Uh, You're right that... uh the liberty in the U.S. is uh, allowing people to make money, whatever, not whatever, but uh, to a large extent, uh, whatever the consequences are. Um, that's a policy issue. Uh, I don't think technology can solve that. So technology can help. We can separate the elements today because we have different cards. One day technology will allow that to happen into the same wallet, but if you look at the money for building such a wallet, who is going to do it? Who is going to be motivated to do that and present that product to the customer? Who is going to make money in building such a device? That's really, I think, the question right. is how do we start? Yet technology probably could do it, right. but who is going to buy it? Well, that's why, like I said, I remember when they wanted, you know, they've been talking about the real ID and they've passed legislation and they want to have a national ID. And it's so expensive that that's what would happen in Congress, that they said, hey, we can't do this. Um, but I think eventually that the way they're going to get it funded is through uh, commercial entities that will fund this this uh, national ID. And that's what is a little bit disconcerting because we don't have the barriers or we don't have the safeguards not barriers i I hate to say barriers because you're right i mean technology has such an upside to it you know there's so many wonderful things from the technology like you're talking about and you've got the ethics and you've got the the positive side of it but i think the fact that we don't have the built-in safeguards that's where the privacy stuff comes in isn't it Absolutely right. The safeguards are there. I can give you an example where smart cards could help in privacy, a very simple example. Okay. Um, If we were to have, and and it will get back to who is going to pay for real ID because it's tied up to the example of a driving license using a smart card. It may be further down the road. It may be years away. But let's assume that I have got a smart card, which is my driving license. Mm 
Right. Let's also assume that um, I don't have the age for that anymore, but that uh, I enter into a bar and somebody asks about my age. Well, they don't know to. They don't need to know who I am, what my name is, my my address is. They just need to know that I am of legal age. Right. Okay. Now, if the card is really smart, the card will have a question received from a bartender because he won't be able to authenticate himself as a law enforcement officer. So the card will know it's not a law enforcement officer. And the question will be, what is the age of your owner? And the card will say, more than 21. That's okay, so all it will say. Yeah, that's great. So how does that work? Does the bartender, I mean, is it going to be, it's not going to be verbal, right? It's going to nope. It, the computer in the card is going to give that information to the computer of the bartender. Oh, so, so in other words, when you walk up to the bartender, he's going to have a little computer, and you put your, your smart card in there, and it comes out, and it says, okay, like a, a green button versus a red button or something? Well, it's if you want to pay for your, your drinks, the card will say he's more or he's less, and the, the terminal will, will describe the, the consequences, or he can have a Coke or he cannot. So the card adds that intelligence. Okay, because the card is able to recognize who's asking the question. Now, if the same card, the same driving license, is asked by me, is asked by a police officer who stops me on the road, right? Uh, and he has in his car, he takes, uh, he takes my driving license, get in his car, he has got a terminal, which is a terminal from a law enforcement officer, which is either connected to a server or has the identification credentials to prove to my card he's a law enforcement officer. My card is going to give all the information about the driving license, my address, when it was renewed, and all that stuff. Right. So, so you no. limit the information just based on who has the computer. Now, is there is there a way that these computers, like the computer for the um, for the bartender, could be manipulated so they could gather more information? Of course, it can. Well, just take the parallel. When somebody shows up at your door today and asks for your information or who you are or wants to enter your house okay the first thing you are going to ask as a person is who are you if the person has a, a, a police officer badge well you are going to let him ask you questions may not enter if you want for another document or something but you are going to do that verification on a person-to-person basis okay right. now the, that person could be impersonating a law enforcement officer. He has risks in doing so. So you have a first level of control, which is not 100% perfect, but at least which, from the policy enforcement standpoint, that if this person is not allowed to have this uniform, is going to be punished by law, so you have a level of trust of what you see. The same thing happens with computers. If you go into that bar and the bar is sucking out of the information from the card because it has been manipulated, after a certain time, it will happen to be known. The, car, the, the bartender is going to be um, uh, under a, a law or another one, and that's where policy and technology can work together. Nothing is 100% secure. Technology cannot by itself protect people from, bad, from evil or bad people. Okay, but i got to ask you a question, and, and that is... If somebody comes to my house, I have an intuitive higher thought or something, you know, that I can kind of say, you know what, I don't trust this person. You know, you, they may say that they're a policeman. You might ask them for credentials and you might say, you know what, I'm just going to call 
you know, because your intuition tells you. But you can't do that when it's a computer. You are going to trust, you know, you know what I'm saying? It just takes away that thing that, you know, you think, okay, I am just going to trust this because there's not going to be, we don't know if the bartender himself may not have anything to do with this, but his boss may be collecting other information. And so, you know, that, it takes away that intuition. I can't use that intuition. Don't you think it is the same thing that you won't enter that bar? The same intuition is going to let you know, well, don't even try there. Well, how will I know? It's a machine. It's not a person that I can, can I look at and look them in the eye. It's because what you will know is the person behind the machine. What you are describing is an internet risk. When you are connecting to a network without knowing who is on the other side. What I was Isn't that the reason why people, it's so scary? You know, it's like that, you know, New York. Uh, New Yorker magazine cartoon that says the two dogs that go, hey, on the internet, you don't know it's a dog. You yep. know? Yep. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's a huge difference. I really trust right. my intuition when I meet someone. When I first met you on the phone, I just felt good, like you're a good person, you know? But don't you sometimes feel differently when you just pick up something, when you either talk to them or you see them? If the, if the bartender himself is a good guy, but his boss isn't, and I'm trusting this machine, I might be making a big mistake. There's just like the social engineering on the, um, on the fishing and all that stuff. Well, the, the risk is always there. That's the risk of freedom, that's the risk of doing things. I think it cannot be eliminated completely. You are perfectly right there. On the other end, um, I would challenge the New Yorker's design, saying, today, if I am a dog, I really want to prove I'm a dog on the Internet because I like cookies. So <laughs> <laughs> I could return that example the other way around. And, uh, yes, there is a risk. There is always a risk, and I, I don't pretend that it can be prevented. It's just that we can use the technology to push the risks a little further to help the computer protect that information, and if the other system is manipulated, and if the person has the motive, and if the person has the reason, these are a lot of ifs. Yes, right. that can happen. But you're so brilliant. You've done these patents. You're, you're a techie. Can't you put together um, something in the smart card that could actually identify if it's been manipulated at all? <laughs> See, that's not... your next patent. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would be extremely rich if I was able to find that. And the reason <laughs> it's not possible is that behind the technology, you always have somebody. Right. And unless that somebody has done something bad, you don't know it, it can turn to be a bad person. Right. So the technology can protect people, but not much uh, beyond what you know about that person. The word trust is something which is basically built over time. When we discussed over the phone the first time, well, you get a feeling, and the next time another feeling, and you build trust mostly over time. You can't build trust just by technology. Right. That's what I was saying. That's perfect. That's exactly what I meant, that there, there's going to have to be some way that you could trust, because right now I think people are, are not trusting on the Internet because of what happens and, you know, when you're communicating with someone, you have no idea who they really are. I, I think that that is, we're going to have to do, that's your next patent. <laughs> <laughs>
But well, let me let me introduce you again. We are speaking with a brilliant I call you a scientist and an expert with identity systems and technology consultants. By the way, I'll give that website, which is idtp.com. We're speaking with Gilles M. Lissimac, beautiful French, French accent. And let's get back to Europe versus the United States. So smart cards have taken off, haven't they, in Europe? Much more than here, is that right? Well, smart cards started a long time ago. Um, uh, the inventors of smart cards, I think, started to work on the project about 40 years ago. And at the time, we're in France, and I was living in France at that time. Um, half of the population was waiting for the phone to be installed, and the other half was waiting for the tone to show up on the phone they had. It was that bad in terms of telecommunication. So most of the transactions which were done with Max Stripes were done offline. And it was not a very good situation from the security standpoint. And they, the banks could not do some, something else because the telecommunication infrastructure was not reliable and was very expensive. Mm -hmm. So they looked at an alternate solution and came up with smart cards. That's really what started smart cards in, in France and Europe and Germany and other places. Uh, where the payment system, um, I think, I, I don't have the numbers in mind, but roughly 85% of the transactions are done offline or semi-offline. It means that there is a transmission at the end of the day, but they don't have the system which goes on the network and ask for the authorization as we do in the U.S. Oh, so, so tell me how that does work. Well, it's just that the card signs up the transaction saying, I'm a trusted card, here is the authorization number that the merchant will bring later in the day into an asynchronous transmission to the, um, to the bank. Okay, so let me go back and, and, and clarify so that my audience understands. So mm -hmm. I go to my own bank to get this smart card, is that right? Most of the banks in France are providing debit cards connected to an account. So. Credit cards are, are starting to, to ramp up, but most of the cards are connected to a banking account, yes. And that becomes my smart card, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, and with that debit card or smart card, I have to always use a PIN? Not always. Uh, it depends on the amount of the transaction. The card uh, and the terminal are going to negotiate. And if the amount of transaction is within the risk that the bank is allowed the card to take, the, you will be prompted for a PIN or you won't. So let me ask you something then, Gilles. If we have so much fraud with debit cards in this country, because that debit card number can be used online, all right, without a PIN, and the money is siphoned out of the victim's account and it's very easy to just deplete their funds and we get so many victims calling me how is that different from how the smart card is used in france and is there a lot of theft of of um you know stealing right from the account like we have here I think stealing from an account is the same between France and the U.S. Uh, because the information over the Internet is just the, uh, the card number 
and uh, probably what is printed on the card, which is the second verification information. And that can be easily spotted if somebody can look at the card. Many websites don't even ask for that information printed on the card, and basically they are taking risk, uh, or they are taking the money. Uh, and uh, if they are illegal, they can also post that and ask for the money and deplete the account. Right. So there's a lot of debit card fraud. In fact, I tell people in this country never to use a debit card. Use a credit card because you're covered by federal law. The Fair Credit Billing Act basically tells you that you're not going to be responsible. You get your credit card bill. You look over the invoice or your monthly statement and you say this is fraud and you call up and you, no money's gone. You don't pay it until you you know, verify it and understand what it was and authenticate it. You're you know? absolutely right. I do not use the ATM cards, which are... Uh, the debit card. The debit de card. Yeah. I use them only to take money out of an ATM and limit the number of interactions I have with the terminals because my PIN is something too precious for me to spread around. Right. So you don't have the Visa MasterCard logo on your card, right? You just yeah. have a regular ATM, correct? Unfortunately, I have the, um, the logo on it, Okay, I I'm do gonna, not advertise it. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm giving you free legal advice. Uh -huh. You call up your bank tomorrow and you tell them, I want a regular ATM card that does not have the Visa MasterCard logo on it. I want to use it just to go to an ATM and get money out of the bank or put money in the bank or get a good rate of return when I go, you know, a rate of um, exchange when I go to France. And they will give you the card without the logo. Because as long as that logo is on there, even if you don't use it as a debit card, someone else can. Okay? I know. Um, the problem I have is that because of my international travels, sometimes that card is very helpful into banks around the world. But right now you can use a, a credit card, can't you? Well, yeah, not at the same rate. Oh, okay. But anyway, it, for for fraud purposes. But no, let, let's get you know that was uh, your free legal advice for the <laughs> evening. <laughs> I, yeah, I understand exactly what you were saying, and and I uh, I, I see what yeah I, I know the risk. I'm trying to limit it by uh, just protecting that card. But yes, I, but it doesn't I, matter because someone can see that card yep, at yep. your bank and dirty insiders. So yes. you know, I just want to tell you, I hear it all the time, and I just would never have one. But that's why I'm quite trying to question in France how that would be different. Is it the same vulnerability or not? In theory, yes, but the French banks are generally more, um, how should I say, picky about allowing payments on the Internet. It's a little more stringent. Uh, the controls are probably different. They are going to deny more transactions than we have in the U.S., uh, where here consumer is king and uh, it's convenience first. So I think they limit the risk more or less. I don't know exactly the number. Remember, I am more a technologist than a banker, so I am right. not able to answer for the bankers. But um, you're calling that a smart card, so that's why I'm just trying to clarify and not give just, you. I'm not trying to give you a hard time, honey. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> it's just that uh, the the French banks, uh, even though the cards are um, uh, smart cards in France, they are not used as a smart card on the internet because there is no uh, terminal. See, it's a, it's an infrastructure problem. Oh, I see. Okay, so they're not really. Uh, it's not easy or consumer-friendly to use your your debit card on the Internet, but you can when you actually 
put the card into a receptacle, there is more of a um, of a match. Is that what you're saying? It's uh, the the smart card is used at merchants, is used at all all other places. Uh, in in France, for example, if you come with uh, an, a Max Stripe card from the U.S. and your Max Stripe has a problem, you probably will have a hard time to pay. The merchants are not going to accept it because they will get suspicious. Right. So it's hard. But on the internet, unless we have uh, smart card readers on computers, and that's not the case most of the time. Uh, they are going to be used uh, with a number punched over the keyboard just like anywhere else, and that's um, the same level of fraud. Right. So are, how, how feasible do you think using smart cards with having these um, machines that we just you know, put the, the card into the machine to read it, how feasible do you think that will be given the expense? Well... The, the, a smart card reader is very inexpensive, in fact. A smart card reader, when you buy it uh, as uh, small quantities as a user, it's about $10, so it's not the cost. The real cost is managing the infrastructure, is who is going to get that reader, is putting the software in your computer to be able uh, to have the card to communicate with the back-end server. Just like today, you have a place a place or a, a thousand not thousand hundreds of different payment systems like paypal like uh, uh well that's the only one i know but there are a lot of others right um you will have to connect to those back-end payment systems or your bank and they are going to have a different communication with the card than the other and so forth so the online system today is not completely standardized right i, I know that um Microsoft is working on it and is trying to improve that situation. Uh, they have done a better job at Vista at this point. They are doing, they are working on the next release after Vista to even improve that in a better manner. Uh, but it takes time and it's an infrastructure issue and um, we are not yet there. But technology would allow it is who is going to pay for it and who is going. The, the problem with smart cards is that you have got the card you have got the application that the card is connected to, and you have got the network in between. And in the three elements have to make money if they are not there in the first place. So on the Internet, somebody has to pay for the terminal. Somebody has to be savvy enough to install the interface or interfaces. And the back-end system has to use the card, so it presents a cost. The infrastructure is there. It's the internet, but all the protocols and all these elements have to be make have to make sense. If I have got a card which allows me to pay only on, let's pick an example, Bank of America, and I want to go on a website and they do not accept Bank of America, I've got a problem. Right, right. And and today it's not standardized enough. The banks have not yet agreed. They are working on it, but it's not yet there. But they could if they wanted to. Now that's well, now they've got, you know, like they have the payment system, like when you have a credit card. You know how that process yeah. is immediately, and they've gotten that under control. There's the merchant accounts. I mean, it's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty well set up with, yep. Yep. with the merchant processors and um, the merchant accounts, and then they check it out with the bank. There's a whole little process that I'm sure you're aware of. Oh, sure. You know, that would have to change, right? I'm not sure it would have to change. It would have to be put in place over the Internet. And right now, I don't think there is a motivation to go there yet. But it, it's going to happen. Right, 
Right. It's, it's just a level of fraud. The level of fraud today is not high enough to justify somebody to pay for it. That's the bottom line. Right. So just answer one question for me before we, uh, Lloyd's telling us we have about three minutes, but in terms of the federal government and you're working on this, this is pretty much becoming standardized so that if you go into one federal building or another federal building, are they all pretty much the same system when you're doing it through governmental authentication? That's in fact the goal. Yes, it is the goal. The uh, PIV specification, which was put, uh, put together by uh, the Department of Commerce, NIST, the intent is to have a same aspect for the credential that all federal workers are going to be to use. It's something which has the same background checks for all the same people. It means that the trust between one agency and the other can be transferred because they know that they did the same research on who that person is. They have the same um, level of certitude, if I can say so. Right, right. And the electronic format of the card is standardized. It doesn't mean that because I have got a card from the Department of State, I am going to enter into the Pentagon. It's not what it means. Right. It means that the Pentagon is able to verify the electronic information in that card, which proves that I am from the Department of State, and then make the decision about, yep, he's allowed to get in there today or tomorrow or just for one hour and so forth. Right. So eventually we're going to have to have something like that for the financial system. And Lloyd is telling me it's time. Do you believe how quickly we went? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, well, I want to thank you so much. Would you just give your website where we can learn more about what you do and, and all the uh, nuances of smart cards? Well, you already mentioned my company's website, www.idtp.com, but another website that can be very useful for people willing to learn about SmartCard is the website of the uh, SmartCard Alliance. It's www.smartcardalliance, the three words all together, .org. And you will find there a lot of white papers and discussions and a lot of people who um, are trying to understand how that works, and a lot of people explaining on how that works. Well, we're going to have to have you back on next year to tell us all the new stuff that's going on. We want to thank you so much, Jill. You're wonderful. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It was a pleasure, and mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to... Um, Come out to, to California. Oh, sure, I will. <laughs> okay, right. good night. Thank you. thank you very much. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Join us every week at Privacy Pipe privacy piracy from 5 to 6 p.m. at KUCI.org and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. And thank you, Lloyd. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.